Welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on the current head coach of St. Lawrence University, Brent Brecky. Brex grew up in the great state of North Dakota before going on to his college hockey career at Western Michigan University. The same university as a one Jeff Lavecchio. After his career at Western, he played a couple years of pro hockey before entering the coaching world. Uh, His first job was as an assistant in North American Hockey League with the Chicago Freeze. After that, he went on to be an assistant coach at Cornell and then at Miami of Ohio, and then at Clarkson University before now becoming the head coach at St. Lawrence. Brex is my biggest mentor in the game. He's the guy that gave me my shot as a player at Cornell, my shot as a coach at uh, Miami of Ohio, and he is one of the best guys in the business. So very, very excited to get him on the podcast here today. Also, each stop that he was at won a championship. Guy's the man. So awesome to have him on. Before we do get over to Brex, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's going on today? Well, I'm wondering how long it's going to be till you're working for St. Lawrence then. Oh, I don't know. He's got <laughs> too good. Like a- follow Brex everywhere. <laughs> uh, he's got he's got two good, very capable, awesome assistants up there in Murph and uh, and Tommy Hill. So I, I will not be going up there anytime soon. But uh, certainly would follow that guy to the ends of the earth. He's that good of a leader, and uh, really cool to have him on here. Yeah, he's an absolute beauty. I was just kidding, anyways. <clears throat> but uh, you know, ha- just got back from the USHL showcase up in Pittsburgh where they just did an absolutely phenomenal job there. Um, everything's first class, that UPMC Pittsburgh rink, like so awesome. And, and I really got to hand it to them because so I get in line in the first day to eat there. And, you know, I was there last year as well. And I order um, a burger and like a fruit and yogurt parfait or something. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm in a rink. It's kind of like being in an airport. Prices are always jacked up. It's good quality meat. I'm thinking like 10, 12 bucks. And they're like $6. I might even got a water. And they're like $6. And I was like, wait, are you sure? Like I got two things. And they're like, oh yeah. Like we, we try to keep our prices as low as we can. Like we're not trying to like make tons of money here. Like it's for the kids. And I was just like, I just started clapping. And I was like, (laughs) unbelievable. I was like, we just built a new $78 million rink in St. Louis for the blues and AAA blues and the the community here. And we're going to have healthy food there. And I can only hope that they're kind of going to do the same thing, like subsidize the the prices of the healthy food. So it's like, you know, for the kids, I I just thought that was really cool of them to do at that rink. Um, and, And I even heard like even some of the prices, like when they have tournaments and stuff in there, like the prices of the clothes, the penguins don't want the clothes marked up so that they're making some crazy profit. Like they'll make a little bit, but they're not looking to like blow it out of the park. And I just thought that that was like so cool. And like, so what youth sports should be about. So I just want to take a second to say really great job by them and, and really cool that they're kind of leading, uh, leading all these NHL cities and kind of like, Hey, look at us. This is what we should do to grow the game within, within the area. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I actually, it's funny you say that I went and did some consulting out there with, uh, the Penn's elite program. Brian Mueller's a guy that, that pretty much runs the rink, 
Um, and I've known him for a long time. So he brought me out there. And so I got to see kind of the, the insides of the organization and it is a well-oiled machine. That's for sure. And, uh, I don't know what his title is, but there's a guy who's, I think he might be the president of the, like the big team, the penguins. Um, he's got a kid that I believe is an O three, I want to say. And, uh, so he's, you know, he's got a vested interest in it too. And so he makes sure that, uh, the youth program and the rink, they, uh, you know, they do a really good job and they do. Brian has that thing. It's, it's, it's a really good operation. That's for sure. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, you and know. also, actually, one of the guys that we had on the podcast earlier, go listen to his episode, is uh, Matty Herr. And he ran that rink uh, a few years back, too. So he's got a lot to do with uh, with the reason that that place has been such a success, too. Yeah, he was a really great guest, too, by the way. If you haven't listened to that one, that was definitely a lot of a lot of insight into some cool things that most people don't get to hear. I thought that was a great episode. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's funny, though. I put out a, a tweet um maybe last week talking about like how I want us in hockey to respect the refs more. Um, and then, you know, I was doing a great job, doing a pretty good job over the weekend. Uh, two things happened though, where I'm not going to lie, lost my cool a little bit. Oh no. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> the first one, a kid's on the other team is standing by our bench. He gets hit, doesn't like it. Somebody on our bench chirped him like yeah, you got hit you know wuss like what i don't even know what he said i couldn't hear it and the kid swung his stick at our kid's head whoa like almost a baseball bat swing and the linesman didn't call it and like obviously i am more sensitive to head hits than probably most people because i've been through <laughs> just a few of them i know what they can do and i'm definitely like it, i try and keep my mouth shut 99.999% of the time. But when I see head hits and then they're not called and I, and I know what they can do to, to people, it, I definitely pipe up. Uh, but I will say I went and apologized to the ref afterwards for saying that I should not have yelled. But, uh, you know, I'm just I'm sensitive to head hits. Kept my, What I did do, though, and I, I wanted to say this for a teaching point for the coaches, I yelled, kind of embarrassed myself, but also kind of protecting the kids, not excusing what I did. I sat down. I guess the head coach and the assistant coach saw this. They didn't tell me till the next day. I sat down on the bench. I zipped my face into my coat and I took 10 deep breaths, stood back up and I was ready to go. And I was coaching again. I swear to God. (laughs) And they were laughing about it the next day. They weren't laughing when it happened because, you know, I don't snap often, but if I do, you know, I snap. So I did that, took 10 deep breaths. So I just think maybe that's a good idea for anybody coaching youth hockey where, you're trying to set a good example kind of goes back to that thing. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. I mean, unless you're out there trying to protect the kids or for whatever reason, there's a better way to go about it. Like bring the ref over and try and talk to him man to man rather than yelling at him. All it's going to do is put him on the defensive anyways. Uh, you know, and then the last game we had a kid who got punched six times in the back of the head in front of the net, like knocked down in front of the net, laying on the ice, turtling. And this monster on CompuWare starts barreling into the back of his head. I shouldn't have said CompuWare, but I did barreling <laughs> into the back of his head and they played a great game. It wasn't dirty or anything. Just one play, you know, it's hockey tempers flare. Um, and there were no penalties called in the game starts to get a little out of control. Our kid gets dusted in the back of the head six times their coach uh super nice guy winds up looking over at me and is like that should have been a penalty because we were talking in between periods how we wish the refs were calling more penalties to kind of keep the kids safe and i definitely yelled at the ref on that one too it was literally like hey like keep the game under control like let's keep the kids safe and the guy starts laughing at me the ref yes (laughs) and 
uh, I definitely snapped a little bit. Uh, I should have kept my mouth shut, but like, you know, for any of the refs listening, like there's, you know, again, I didn't do the right thing. I'll say that for sure. I should have asked him to come over to the bench and instead of being like, you know, boisterous from the bench. Um, but like if you're a ref, if you're a ref, don't laugh at a coach when he's trying to talk to you. Like, that's just probably not the best way to go about either side. I'm, I'm in the wrong. I'm telling you right now, I'm in the wrong. I shouldn't have yelled that loud. I should have asked him to come over to talk about it, but probably a good thing as a ref is not to laugh and snicker at the coach. And then he did it to our head coach at the end of the game. when We were getting off the ice. Might've said something else to him, but, uh, you know, just, just something that was on my mind. Yeah. Well, the way that I see it as a youth coach, when it comes to the refs, like the ref's responsibility, the only responsibility that the ref has is to keep the kids safe. I think that's their number one responsibility. And there's two, there's two ways that I would get upset with the refs. And that's, this is it. Like one is just kind of like what you were saying. If there's stuff going on in the ice and they're not policing the game and kids are going to get hurt. Yep. That, that, that used to like really drive me, me mad in terms of like, again, the head hits, the checks from behind, like all that kind of stuff. And it's not like, call it on our team too. Like exactly. Because usually when there's stuff going on in a game, it's not one team. It's usually both teams, you know? So, and coaches, that's our responsibility too, to make sure that our kids are not, you know, playing like idiots and doing that stuff and, you know, that can hurt kids on the other team. The other thing that used to really get me going about the refs is, you know, how it goes in youth sports. Like there are times when the refs just want to get in and get out. That's all they want to do. They want to drop pucks and they want to not blow any whistles and all that kind of stuff. And they just want, like, they don't really care about being there. And there's times where that happens. And that used to always get me going too, because again, protect the kids, like blow the whistle, do your job. And that, that used to get me upset too. I'm obviously not going to say the ref's names that were out there, but before the game, before the first puck dropped, he's like, let's go boys. No whistles today. The Steelers got a game soon. Yeah. And he was joking. He was joking, but then literally told they like were waving off icings. There was almost no whistles to the point where their head coach who had played in the NHL and I were talking in between periods. We knew a bunch of mutual friends and he's like, this is ridiculous. Like the offsides are letting go. The icings are letting go. Like we paid a lot of money to be in this tournament and you know, whether they're doing it on purpose or not, like, okay, that doesn't bother me like a ton. But when the game started to get out of control and there was not one penalty called and you know how it goes, especially you 16 guys are getting strong. Guys are getting big. We got a couple meatballs on my team and I'm like, don't retaliate. Don't retaliate. Cause after that punch happened and some head hits from both teams, both teams, some slashes taken, you know, it's like, all right, we're one hit away from a line brawl or one hit away from one of our, our tough kids, like standing up for his teammate, which, you know, are you supposed to, are you not supposed to like, depends on who you ask. Like, it just could get out of control. And and the only t- thing I was yelling at him was like, keep the game safe. Keep the kids yeah, exactly. safe. That's literally all I care about, exactly. especially when the head hits start to happen. Cause, right. Cause like at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's youth sports. Like these refs are amateurs, just like the kids are. Exactly. This isn't their professional exactly. job. So in terms of like getting on them about calls, like they're going to make mistakes. Imagine a ref right. coming up and telling you about all the mistakes that you made as a coach on the bench. Like, Tons. I think, I think, yeah, I think, um, 
you have a little bit of a right as a coach to voice your opinion when you feel like the kids aren't being, you know, it's not a safe environment on the ice. And right. uh, actually I should ask you, was Barnsey the coach of that copywork team that you guys were playing? Oh yeah. Yeah. He said he knows you. He's yeah. an awesome guy. We should get him on the podcast. Actually. He's a, oh, uh, he's a good dude. So Barnsey, we're coming for you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah. He was awesome. I mean, yeah, I've never had it where, where both coaches are like asking for penalties to be called, you know, like, come on, like, all the coaches actually like all three on our bench and the two on their bench. We've talked after the game. We're like, come on, like keep it safe. Keep, you know, we don't want any suspensions. We don't want a kid to take a Liberty. We don't want, you know, we don't want kids protecting themselves. Like just police the game. And again, I was in the wrong. I shouldn't have yelled from standing on the bench. I know my dad is a ref taught me, you know, don't do that. It's just going to piss the ref off. It's probably why he started laughing at me. But I mean, that's probably not the smartest move when you're a little guy and you're going to anger some bigger people like that's just not you're just so intimidating that's just that's not the right thing to do (laughs) (laughs) i'm a big teddy bear but i mean you know i just i just want them to keep the the kids safe so anyways that's that's all i had to say but i'll tell you what though i'm pretty pretty excited my team took some really big strides this weekend so that was really that was really fun to see for the kids yeah yeah it's fun it is fun at that age group just kind of seeing them like Start get it figure. like turn the yeah. light bulb kind of turns on both individually and as a team too oh both yeah and we had both of that we we had a couple kids just have breakout weekends in front of tons of scouts i mean probably one of the most heavily scouted weekends of the year oh, if totally. not the most um so it's really cool when you see all those little details that we've been hammering on for the last two months now they start doing it all of a sudden they start scoring because they're doing those details or they start not getting scored on so really exciting stuff from the coach's standpoint yeah yeah for sure well before we go on to brex there's a couple things i wanted to to talk about one is uh so your buddy and mine but guy that i go way back with mike letizia who we actually had on the podcast before um unreal guy and uh you know a lot of the what we talked about when he was on the podcast is at the time he was you know he was struggling because his wife was was fighting breast cancer and uh she's she has beaten it and things are going really well for them right now so uh butchie which is what i call him uh butchie has put together a little bit of a, a campaign uh to raise awareness and money for breast cancer research so he's calling it pucks for pink you know he's one of those guys every every uh every day this month in october he's actually going to wear pink and his uh, thing is real men wear pink but uh, with that he's done a hockey thing pucks for pink where it's almost like the ALS uh, ice bucket challenge where he is challenging people that he knows and hopefully spreading the word that uh, you know they're going to have it's like a hundred puck challenge and so they're going to challenge somebody you either have to shoot a hundred pucks or donate to the cause within 24 hours of being challenged. So he got in touch with me, and uh, I was actually myself and another podcast guest, actually Eddie Olchek Jr. were his first two guys that uh, that he went after in a challenge. So I then went and challenged my good friend Jeff Lavecchio here as well. So just want to be on the lookout for everybody that's listening to the podcast. I want to make this thing and help Butchie to to make this thing huge, and uh, hopefully we can get some some huge awareness and and some huge money raised for for breast cancer uh, research and uh, so pucks for pink should be coming through social media your way if it hasn't already and let's uh, let's make this thing huge yeah and don't just do the shooting the pucks thing like don't be afraid even if you're a kid and you got five bucks to spare if everybody gave five bucks that's a crap load of money so like uh, you know i feel like with the ice bucket challenge like it, it did awesome and i'm sure a lot of people were googling and learning and stuff like that but also a lot of people just do it 
just to do it. Like, don't forget what it's about and the, the purpose behind it. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, there's 0% chance I'm going to shoot a hundred pucks. So I'll definitely, uh, just, <laughs> I'll shoot one puck for a video, maybe two, go get a couple of bar meows, uh, maybe a couple five cheeses, and then I'll donate for sure. <laughs> bar meows and five cheeses. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Exactly. I like it. Uh, hey, actually, you know what? There is one other thing I wanted to talk about too. That's a little bit heavier, and uh, this, this is going to make you feel really good, man. And uh, again, we we do this podcast to have an impact, right? To have a positive impact on on the hockey culture. And uh, I had a, a guy that I know, unbelievable guy, just like salt of the earth, would give his shirt off his back for you, type guy. That uh, came up to me yesterday. He's like, "Hey, Tof, I just want to talk to you for a second. Okay. He goes, I listened to the Mark Wick episode. And I was like, oh, okay, like, what'd you think? He's like, kind of nods his head. He goes, I needed to hear that. And I was like, oh, man, really? Like, are you all right? He's like, I think so. I think I am, yeah. But, you know, he talked about some tough stuff, and I needed to hear that and really appreciate that episode of what you guys did. And, uh, you know, that, that like, told, like I'm even kind of getting choked up right now just even talking about it. I mean, that's, again, that's why we do what we do. We want to make an impact and, and bring some positivity, and, and uh, we did. We made an impact, and that was probably our most, you know, uh, hopefully most influential episode because mental health is, is uh, you know, it's, it's really, really important. And the fact that he brought me aside and told me that, I was kind of like, wow. Like, that's pretty cool. Wow. That's, yeah, man, I'm almost tearing up over here, man. That's, that's unbelievable. You know, I love what we do, man. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So just thought I would, uh, I didn't even tell you that beforehand. (laughs) I should have told you that before. Thanks for making me cry on air. (laughs) But he's unbelievable guy, like unreal guy. And it just kind of, kind of goes to show you, you know, sometimes you just don't know. Some people could be going through struggles and you'd never know it. So always being there for people and, and uh, asking how people are doing and, and just, being, just being a good person I think is so important because you never know the type of impact you could be having on people. And to that guy, if he's, I'm guessing, he's listening, like I'm literally not trying to sell you anything. I'm saying this because I wholeheartedly believe it. CBD has definitely changed the way that I feel you know, I had over 10 plus concussions. I think it was probably closer to 15 throughout my entire, you know, hockey career that I can remember. Um, and once I st- stopped playing and I hooked up with uh, the guys over at Veda, Rob Shrimp is their, their athlete liaison over there who we had on one of the earliest podcasts who also talked about mental health struggles. And if you haven't heard that episode, it's pretty powerful, especially at the end when he goes into that stuff. Um, and CBD has definitely helped him as well. Um, it's, it's like, it really has been a game changer for me. Um, daily mood and things like that. Like, um, it's helping me to sleep better. You know, if you don't sleep well, not, not just a lot, like people think, Oh, I slept from kids say, Oh, I slept from 2am to 2pm. You know, that's not the right kind of sleep. You, You know, like it helps me get the right kind of sleep, helps me recover, um, helps my brain stay fresh, less fog. It really has been a game changer. So for anyone out there who, who's, you know, I think you gotta be over 21 to buy it just because of this, this, you know, some of the, the laws and stuff like that. But our, our CBD at Veda 
our athlete one that's made for athletes doesn't have THC in it. Um, so I encourage you guys to go to, to Veda ECN.com, look up the, um, the athletes one. And, uh, I think my code up for, for Veda is just VEX V E C H S in all capital letters to give you a little discount. Again, not trying to sell you guys. I truly, truly believe in this and it has changed my life, my mom's life, my grandfather's on it, my dad's on it, my sister's on it, like totally believe in this stuff. And, and if you're having problems, like, you know, obviously talk to your doctor, talk to your nutritionist, but it could be something that could help you. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard the CBD is, is good. It's changed my life, dude. I'm not even kidding you. Like it literally, I take it twice a day, every single day. Um, since I got on it, it's, it's literally like it's, it's been a game changer for me. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, they're doing so much, so many studies on it now, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk too much more about it. I don't want to sound salesy, you know, cause they're not paying us to talk about this, but (laughs) it is something that, that, at least look into it. I mean, find different ways. If you're having struggles, find different ways, reach out to people, try different things, talk to different people. Um, you know, you're not alone. You know, we all, we all go through different things. So just wanted to say that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the guys that, uh, certainly got me through a lot of stuff is, is the guy that we're having on the podcast here today in Brex. And, uh, if, if there was ever a guy that I would run through a freaking brick wall for, it's this guy. And, uh, you know, I tell the story on the podcast, but he was our coach at Cornell when I first got there and legitimately we sitting around freshman year being like, there's no way Brex is going to be here for four years. He's going to get a head coaching job. And 19 years later, (laughs) he gets his first one, which is, uh, is it 19? No, it can't be 19. 15 years later. Carry the two. Yeah, I know. It's probably not even 15. I'm just kind of guessing. But uh, a lot of years later, he gets his first head coaching job. It just goes to show you how tough those jobs are to get. And uh, um, just an unbelievable human being. Like, unbelievable coach, but unbelievable human being. And uh, I can't wait to see him turn around the St. Lawrence program because uh, we've been waiting for him. A lot of the guys that that, uh, played for him at Cornell have been kind of waiting to see him get his own job and see the kind of job he's going to do. And we're all very much rooting for him. So, awesome. Awesome to have him on the podcast. Very exciting. Yeah, it's, a, it's nothing like that, having a good leader and then and then seeing how far leadership takes you. I mean, it totally makes sense why NHL teams are talking about how important veteran leadership is and coaching and, and culture and things like that. It, it all it rolls downhill. I mean, it, it it's all starts at the top and then you set it and then goes from there. So very cool. I'm excited as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A Bronco. A Bronco getting a shot. So, yeah, <laughs> but it was really cool to hear his journey, but also really cool to kind of hear him talk about what he's trying to do at St. Lawrence and turning that program around. And, um, also just, uh, you know, great to shoot the breeze with a guy that, uh, that's given me a lot. Again, he gave me my shot as a coach at Miami of Ohio. He gave me my shot as a player. And I f- feel like we talk about it with a lot of people on here. You surround yourself with really good people. And if you surround yourself with the right people, you know, you're, you're going to put yourself in a position to, to succeed. And, uh, thank God that Brex is in my corner <laughs> and in my support system. Cause he's gotten me to a lot of really good places. Well, and on top of that too, I mean, something that we talk about all time personally, and you know, we talked about it today earlier is you're kind of always on an interview, whether you know it or not, that doesn't mean you'd be fake, but like you were playing for him 
you didn't know you were going to be a coach when you were done. You didn't know any of those things that, that he was going to be working somewhere where you could possibly work with him, but he liked you as a player. He liked your intensity. He liked your, your thirst for knowledge. He liked your composure. He liked your leadership, all these things. So even though you didn't know that, like you were kind of on a quote unquote coaching tryout while you're playing <laughs> later in life, when you're like, Hey Brex, I'm, I'm looking to coach. He's like, well, I love you as a player. Like I loved everything you stand for. Boom. Roasted. Let's do this. You know what I mean? <laughs> I so think those like, are his exact words actually. Yeah. That, I mean, that's boom, how I usually get jobs. He said boom roasted and then was like, would you like this contract? <laughs> yeah. When I signed with the Bruins, that's what they said. Hey, we like your game. Boom roasted contract. <laughs> 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 oh, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, always be your best self and always be a good person and, and, and good things happen. I mean, at least that's what we believe. Yeah. How you do anything is how you do everything. <laughs> You're such a tool with that, with that no, line I'm, now. I'm saying, <laughs> I, dude, if you don't think that that's the way I try and live my life, like, I mean, that's how you do it. Any, it's true. Details. You, you, oh, you want to, and then try and play well, nah, you're going to cheat in the game. Oh, you want to cheat in school and then you want to go play hockey? You think you're not going to cheat? Nah, you're going to cheat in hockey too. Like it, it, how you do anything is how you do everything. Love that saying. True that. Well, how we're doing anything right now is we're going to send it on over to Brax and his conversation. So uh, without further ado, the head coach of St. Lawrence University, Brent Brecky. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast one of my favorite people in the game, one of my mentors, Brent, Brent Brecky. I can't even say his name. Brex, how are we doing today? I'm good. That's a heck of a mentor if you don't know my first name anymore. That's <laughs> I was just, I know, I was just so excited <laughs> I couldn't get it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, no, no problem. We've been trying to get you on here, and we're glad to get you. And uh, typically on the podcast, what we like to do is, is kind of take it way back and, and ask you about uh, your childhood and growing up and how you uh, fell in love with the game and know you grew up in the great state of North Dakota. Um, so I wanted to ask you how you grew up, what it was like out there, and, uh, and how you fell in love with the great game of hockey. Uh, it's funny, actually. My brother was playing. He's a couple years older, so he was playing hockey, and, and I had not started yet. And so... I was getting to that age when typically, you know, young kids are getting on the ice and, and you know, getting kickstarted a little bit. I don't know if I was four years old or what I was. And I went out for the first time, kind of liked skating around the ice a little bit, and then uh, came off and they said, well, do you, and you want to start playing hockey? And I said, yeah, you know, I think that's, that'd be fun. And they said, well, it's Saturday morning practices. And so I was like, I'm out. If that's taking cartoon time away, I'm out. <laughs> so, so I actually, I didn't play that year. Like I waited another year and then uh, just really got after it. So I legitimately chose cartoons over hockey for my first year when I was, I was like three or four, whatever that's I was. Unreal. So, but yeah, just uh, followed my brother's path a little bit. He was a goaltender. And then, uh, which obviously, you know, any hockey player, if you grow up in a family with uh, another sibling, if you've got a goal in the family and you hit the jackpot, you've always got somebody in net to shoot on or, you know, play some road hockey and things like that. So yeah, I grew up there, um, started in Minot, North Dakota. And then uh, we moved to Devil's Lake um, and spent probably half our childhood in Devil's Lake and then moved to Jamestown uh, and then played my, my Bantam in high school hockey there and then left uh, high school early to go play in the USHL in, in Rochester. So, uh, but it was uh, like, I love growing up in North Dakota. It's a, it's a great state. It's funny. It's, it's not for everybody, I guess, but I call it God's country. And a lot of people say, well, there's nothing there. But if you love the outdoors, if you love to hunt and fish and love the outdoors, it's, it's a great place, great place. So I really enjoyed my childhood there. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, you went from there, like you said, to the USHL and, and ended up becoming uh, a captain at Western Michigan University, which you share with my lovely co-host here on the other side. So, uh, Broncos, Broncos, Broncos. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Fellow bucking Bronco. But don't say that 10 times in a row because you, you'll run into trouble with that. <laughs> Uh, I like it. Well, I have to ask you this, and I think I've told you this story before, but uh, actually a mutual guy that coached both Jeff and I named Chris Brooks. Uh, So Brooks, he's actually an assistant coach at Michigan Tech, but he was an assistant at Western when Jeff was there and for my first first and second year pro. Um, But he was a teammate of yours at Western Michigan. And the story that he told me was when you were a, a leader on the team, one of the things that you did is if you thought that there was a player that like, you know, was being lazy or he wasn't doing the right things off the ice and he kind of needed a, a message to be sent to him, you would make a point to go against that person in practice one-on-one every single drill. So every time they went on a rep, you were going. And for our listeners, Brex is, uh, let's just say he's not soft. <laughs> so he's a tough guy, I'm sure, to play <laughs> against. So like, was that, was that true? Is that a true story? And if so, like what, what, uh, what kind of made you think to do that? No, well, not all the time, but obviously there, there's times where, you know, you, you got to hold guys accountable within your locker room. And yeah, so I mean, things that happen, you know, that needed to be addressed within the uh, the team. So that, that stuff happened. It wasn't all the time, but, um, you know, message have to be sent at different times. But it's, you know, I was never going to outskill anybody, that's for sure. And I wasn't going to outscore anybody. So, you know, for me, it was just to compete hard every day. But uh, I thought we had a real good culture there, uh, uh, you know, for a good portion of the, the four years I there, I was at Western and loved it. And, uh, we had a real good group in that locker room. And, uh, but again, with any locker room, there's times where you, you've got to have accountability. And that's some of the things that we're trying to instill and put in place here right now. And, um, you know, we've had those discussions here in recent days, just with our, with our program here at St. Lawrence. And, um, it's, you know, accountability from within, but from your teammates means so much more than just coming from the coaches. Uh, you know, cause those are the guys that, uh, ultimately they want to gain the most respect from their teammates and, uh, more so than the coaches. So when it's accountability coming from a teammate and guys getting after each other and, um, you know, the unique thing I think about hockey is different probably from other sports and, um, you know, and different things in life where you can get after a guy in practice and, uh, but guys, when they leave the ice, you know, even if you get in a fight in practice, they leave the ice there, they're still buddies. You know, it stops on the ice and it doesn't carry off into the locker room. And I think that's just the uniqueness that hockey has compared to, uh, you know, a lot of other sports that are out there that some of that stuff lingers from the, on the field or on the court, you know, into your locker room. I think guys have just a, a respect in the way the game has always been played. And uh, from a hockey standpoint, you get after each other and there's going to be battles and there's going to be confrontation and there's going to be, you know, um, guys upset with each other. And, but when you leave the ice and you're still teammates, you're still buddies and, the, and you park it and you leave it on the ice. So I, I, that's the one part I really do love about the game is guys have a, there's such a respect level on the ice uh, that, you know, you can have those, those confrontations and still be friends when you leave the, leave the ice, you can leave the rink. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, it's so true, and it's such a unique part of the game. But I also feel like that's kind of tough for kids to hold each other accountable. And when I go and I do my team building stuff, and just talking with guys like yourself and people around, you know, around the coaching culture, you know, that's one of the things that we all understand is really important. But it's it's hard. Like it's hard to get people to hold their best friends accountable um, and, and teammates. So what would you say is kind of like a way that you kind of approach that with your team and making sure that that you know accountability from within is is able to to happen 
Well, the, the thing we talk about is, is self-accountability first. Like you look at yourself, before you can hold anybody else accountable, you can't go tell another player to, to perform better if you're not you know, paying attention to the details and, and playing your best hockey. But that's something we had a discussion with our, with our captains uh, a few days ago of, you know, we're getting to the point now, the, you know, the honeymoon period is going to be over and we start making game time decisions. When Thursday's uh, game time uh, lineup is put up for the next night, now all of a sudden guys are, you know, that aren't in the lineup, it's not so fun anymore. And it's, you know, it's, it's the preseason. Everybody gets a chance to, you know, go week after week after week with no true decision being made if they're in the lineup or not. Uh, and, but now that's going to come to a head. And our discussion with the captains was, you know, if there's a kid on the lineup and you hear him complaining about it, that he feels like he's getting a raw deal and, and, you know, you just enable him and say, yeah, I can't believe that. You're not helping the cause. If you truly feel that, you know, he needs to be better and the decision that we made as a coaching staff, you agree with, you've got to confront that. And then those aren't easy conversations and everybody wants to be a leader and be a captain and be kind of put on the pedestal. But with that goes a large responsibility, you know, to have those, you know, the tough conversations and the piece of the leadership that's not necessarily fun uh, you have to confront that head on. And if you as a, as a leader, as a captain, don't agree with our decisions as a coaching staff, then we need to come in and talk and sit down and get on the same page. You know, you may not like to hear what we have to say as a coaching staff, um, but we talked it out. But if you, you truly feel that, hey, that, that player is not performing and they, they shouldn't be in the lineup, they come complaining, you better squash it right then and there or it just gets worse. You know, don't be an enabler of it. Totally. Totally agree with that. I have a question for you, Brex, because this is kind of something I've been dealing with right now with my U16 team. Um, and I would love to hear your advice on this. You know, we've been saying the same thing, like hold your teammates accountable, hold yourself accountable. But, you know, I'm coaching 16 year olds and still a little green, still new, new to, you know, having that kind of responsibility. And what I noticed is when I first started saying, you know, like, hey, you know, if you see your teammate, if I say shoot and stride and you see your teammate not shooting in stride, like let's make sure we get him back on the same page and let's shoot in stride, whatever the details are for the practice, like hold your teammates accountable. But what I noticed was at least at 16 years old, say little Johnny says to, to Timmy, Hey Timmy, you know, we got to shoot in stride. Sometimes they don't say it in the right way or the guy who is being held accountable, who didn't do whatever we're asking and, and somebody calls him out, he takes it really personally. Um, and I'm sure that's something that comes with age, but do you have any advice to like younger guys who are a leader on a team that are trying to hold their teammates accountable? Like, is there a, a better way to verbalize, uh, and approach your teammates when you're trying to, to work on that kind of thing? Yeah, that is a challenge, especially with young players. It really is that that's, you know, when you try to cultivate you know, leadership for long-term down the road, like the kids that you're impacting right now at the 16 level, you know, your leadership impact with them, that may not be until they're 2021. You know, it's hard because young kids don't necessarily, you know, understand the nuances of what you're talking about. Cause there's a time and a place of, of when you address certain things with guys like, um, but it's also the demeanor and, and the tone of your voice and how you relay that message. I, I think the, the starting point is to make sure that the team as a whole understands that, we want you holding each other accountable. So when a teammate comes up and says, Hey, we need you to just pass that puck harder. Like we need you to execute on the details of the practice and the drills we're doing. You can't take that defensively They're, They want the best from you because they care about you. They're not getting on you just because they, you know, they want to get on you and coach said, go, go challenge you. And that's not the case. Um, you know, and understanding personalities, how you address one player is not how you're going to address another player. 
you know, a lot of coaches actually struggle with that. They, you're not coaching every kid the same way because they have different personalities. You know, sometimes you can be more challenging to one player and other times you got to approach it in, a, in a, a little different manner or maybe even a softer manner with another player to get the most of them as a player and especially young players they don't necessarily understand that like you're talking about. But I, I think the big picture of, of getting the message across to the entire team is we want accountability here. And we got, you know, teammate accountability that if somebody comes to target, they're not getting on to you or they're not, you know, talking about a, a play in a game because they're mad at you or, or don't like you. They're trying to help you. And, and with that, but again, the self accountability comes, you know, back as well that you're like, Hey, that kid better be doing his part before he starts getting onto some other kid. But I do think, yeah, helping to mentor and teach them. And, and when you see that interaction with a young man, maybe address the, the issue on the ice, but it wasn't in necessarily the right tone, the right manner, or even at the right time, maybe. Maybe you should have let it go a couple reps and, hey, this is the third time in a row that the kid's done this. And, okay, now it's time. Not every single rep of as soon as the kid makes that first mistake, a kid comes over and says something, you know, maybe it's you know, let that play a little bit because maybe it's going to happen a second, third time. Um, and then and working with that young man as a leader saying, hey, what did you say to him? Okay, did you think that was the right way to say it? Do you think it was the right time to say it? And just kind of work to, to help them understand from a leadership and learn how to address uh, different issues um, as a leader. Yeah, that that totally makes sense, 100%. I, th- I think something you said there, too, it was my fault when I brought that up to the team and I said, hey, like, you know, it's not just the coaches that should keep you guys accountable. I want you guys keeping each other accountable. You know, I, I didn't say to them when I said that, you know, a make sure that you're, you're walking the walk. If you're going to talk the talk, like if you're going to hold somebody accountable, you've also got to be doing all the drills, right. You know, so you got to look in the mirror first. And I, I, I guess I just, at the higher levels, obviously that's understood. And at 16, apparently it's not. And that's my fault being a new coach. And then the other thing is, you know, how you say it, like that was, that was a big thing. Like, cause that first day, you know, guys, the guys who like are, are the guys who we want to be leaders and who want to be leaders, they'd kind of be like, Hey, Hey, do it this way, you know, and then the kid would come back and be like, Hey, I am. And they, you know, they're kind of arguing. So I had to, you know, talk to yeah. them before the next practice and be like, Hey, you got to be walking the walk if you're going to, you know, help, help it out. And B it's not always what you say, it's how you say it. And then C if you're the guy who is being, I don't want to say corrected, but you know what I mean? Like your teammates holding you accountable. Remember it's because we all want to make each other better. And that's the purpose. That's the reason we as coaches want you to do it. And that's the reason we want you as players to hold each other accountable because we want to make everyone better. So if somebody says to you, Hey, I noticed that you didn't shoot in stride, like make sure we're working on that. It's for your and the teams, you know, with the best intentions at heart. It's not because that guy is trying to prove his uh, superiority to you. So once I said that, I definitely noticed a shift in the locker room and the boys being like, okay, yeah. Like if somebody says something to me, I'll just be like, yep, I'll work on that. Let's go. And that helps. So for any coaches out there, if you're trying to have your team hold each other accountable, make sure you kind of explain it a little more than, uh, than I did when you first say it and tell them why it's being done. And it's for everyone's best interest, not to show one guy's better than the other that's not what it's about yeah for sure and i think the one thing that's always challenging with leadership and it's not just at, at younger age levels but it's part of it it's at different levels of guys would rather be liked than be respected and so they don't they would feel at times that they don't want to have the tough conversation um they don't want to approach somebody because they don't they think oh geez that person's not going to like me if i'm if i'm challenging them you know and i think that's the thing hey 
you, you can be challenging and be hard on guys and they'll respect you. And, and I think that's the one thing you have to keep in mind. You'd rather be respected than liked. That's just the reality of it. If you're worried about your, your friendship more than uh, holding somebody accountable, then you're ultimately going to have not the best culture within your team. You know, and, and then you're, you're sacrificing being the best you can be. If you're worried about, okay, well, if I say this, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to want to go have dinner with me after practice or spend time with, he's going to be upset with me. You can't be concerned about that. Do the right thing and do the right thing all the time and earn the respect, not the likeness. So true. So true. And that's tough. Like that's tough for kids. It's, it's even tough for young coaches, I would imagine too, that are just kind of getting into it and are used to kind of being one of the boys. And now all of a sudden your, your job is to, to make people better. And, uh, I, I'm sure that could be tough for, for young coaches for sure. And, uh, you know, you've been in the business a long time and, uh, it's amazing the fact that I've, I think I've told the story on the podcast before, but, uh, I remember this would have been 2000, what, 2004, and uh, I was a little freshman at Cornell in uh, in a lot of senses of the word little. And uh, you know, you, you are you are our assistant coach, and I, I distinctly remember it's unreal. I distinctly remember sitting around with our freshman group and and just having so much respect for you and being like, "There's no way Brex is going to be here for four years. Like Brex is going to get a head coaching job somewhere in the next year or two. And it's it's so crazy that this year now in 2019, you finally got your you know your first head coaching job and. And uh, so I wanted to ask you kind of what that process was like, you know, was it kind of tough to be an assistant for so long and finally getting your, your, you know, your shot as a head coach, um, kind of take us through that process of, of, and even kind of how you evolved in your mindset, you know, through the years that you were a coach as an assistant. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think it was hard until more recent years because for me, I, I loved being an assistant coach because I love the aspects of, of what you're doing with the recruiting. You're on the road. Like to me, I really, I enjoy the recruiting aspect. Um, but the skill development, like in this, as an assistant coach, you spend a ton of time one-on-one small group with skill development. Like, so there's so many aspects uh, of being an assistant that I really enjoyed. I, I was never in a rush to be a head coach. Uh, I really didn't pursue head coaching jobs for a long time. Um, you know, and the other thing is, that, is I loved where I was at with the people that I worked with at different institutions too. I was at Cornell, obviously there for nine years and, and, you know, coach, uh, coaching with Schaefer, Mike Schaefer was a guy that, you know, was a close friend of mine. He's a mentor that, he coached me at Western Michigan as an assistant coach. Uh, and I just, I, I have the utmost respect for him. And, um, you know, I, I think the one thing there's always times where it wasn't necessarily head coaching response or jobs that were opportunities that were available, but, but assistant jobs somewhere else. I, I didn't want to leave there uh, just because there was a friendship and, and the things that we had going there and what we were building. I wanted to be a part of that. And I felt that, out of fairness to him, I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave. Um, you know, so I, I was never in a rush to be a head coach and, and Jamie Russell was the other assistant. Um, we both came at the same time at Cornell and, and Jamie went through the process and it was interesting, you know, as, as the younger head coach or younger assistant coach there, uh, he had opportunities to leave. Uh, and the first one he turned down, uh, his first head coaching opportunity actually got offered the job and he turned it down and he just said, you know what, I don't think I'm ready. Um, and, and then it happened, you know, a couple of years later, he got an offer again and ended up taking it. And he just, but at that time he went through the process for the interview and, and took a step back and said, you know what, geez, I don't know if I'm truly ready because, you know, you know, Jeff, and you can speak to this. It's similar to your playing opportunity that, you know, when you step into to pro hockey as a player, if you're going to get your shot in the national hockey league, you had better be ready for it because your winner of opportunity is so, so small. If you're not ready when that opportunity arises and you make the most of it, 
you either stick or you're, you, you could be done. It could be your cup of coffee and now you're in the minors and, and that's it. And so you truly have to be ready for that opportunity. Being a head coach is the same thing. Uh, you, you don't want to be a head coach with one contract and then now you get uh, let go or you don't get resigned and now you're an assistant coach the rest of your life. That's not, that's not what you want. You know, you, you want to be in a position where you're ready to take the reins and, and make a name for yourself and, and run a program for a long time. Uh, you know, so I think those things are important. So I, I never approached it in a, in a situation where I was in a rush to be, um, you know, head coach, head coach. The one thing I wanted to be is I wanted to be a great assistant coach. I wanted to be a great recruiter and I wanted to help build a program. And those were my focus for a long, long time. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, in recent years, there was other opportunities that arose and I had applied for those positions, didn't get those jobs. That's when things started to sink in going, geez, there's not many jobs out there. There's only, you know, there's only so many head coaching jobs and all of a sudden you think there's an opportunity that you have a real good chance to get the position. You don't get it. That becomes a real eye opener for you. Um, you know, especially when you're in the business for a long time as an assistant, when you feel you are ready and then you, you get turned down for the job and it's like, wow, this is, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be easier to get a coaching job just because of the number of years of experience and, and the time you put in, that doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah. Yeah, well, you mentioned, obviously, there's different roles within an assistant coach and a head coach in college hockey, and uh, primarily for, you know, the listeners that don't really know, like, the assistant coaches do a lion's share of uh, of the recruiting, and the teams are built, basically, on the eyes of, of the assistants, and, uh, you know, for something that was so important to you in building teams and recruiting, it was something you really enjoyed, how has that been as a head coach now? And I know you're only a little bit into it, but ha- has your mindset changed at all, or or is it something that you've thought about, like, hey, I, I kind of got to hold the reins back here and let my guys do their thing? How involved do you want to be? How has your thought process been going from, you know, assistant coach to head coach from the recruiting standpoint? Well, I, the thing, I, I was fortunate to have guys that put a lot of trust in me as an assistant coach when it came to recruiting, and that's something I want to make sure. And I, and I told Tommy Hill and Ben Murphy this, like, like I hired you guys because I trust you, you know, but you know, our philosophy is we want extra sets of eyes when they're going to watch guys play. So uh, at least two of us, if not three of us to see a kid play and let's make a decision. But at the end of the day, if you, you come back and you say, this is our guy and you're the only one that's seen him and you're, you're steadfast and Hey, this, this is a guy we've got to have. that's going to change our program. Then I, I want them to have that confidence to pull the trigger on that kid. Um, you know, because I, again, for their own development, they can't have me, over, you know, looking over their shoulder and second guessing, you know, that doesn't, the culture we want to build within our, and within our entire program is just not our locker and our players, but it's with our staff as well. Um, I want those guys to know that I trust them. And, uh, and, you know, otherwise I hired the wrong guys and I made the wrong decisions. And we've got two great assistants here that I trust that uh, are at different levels as far as their experience. And Ben Murphy has been a long time, I shouldn't say long, I've been a fairly long time. He was at Bentley for nine years and, you know, did a phenomenal job in recruiting there. And he's a road warrior. Uh, Tommy Hill's obviously a guy that I worked with in Miami for a number of years who was in a you know, director of hockey ops role that I just think he's a young superstar in the making that has a good eye and a, you know, good communication skills. And, um, you know, so I, I want those guys to feel comfortable and know that hey, I trust your eye. I, I trust your decision-making. Uh, if there's a guy out there that you truly think we need to have, and this is a, a time-sensitive recruiting battle, uh, let's pull the trigger. So, you know, you, you, they have to instill trust. They have to know I have confidence in them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, let me ask you a question. 10 out of 10, zero being not very important and 10 being extremely, extremely important. Like how your success as a head coach, how zero out of 10, how high is it that you need to have good assistant coaches? <laughs> 
Well, that's that's the ten for sure. You have to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just the reality. You, you don't have good assistants. Like your assistants are are the guys that are bringing the players in, and they're the glue to everything, and they're they're a bridge and extension of you as a head coach. Um, to me, leadership is 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 a joint effort. It's it's our entire staff combined with our, our leadership group within that uh, locker room. But those guys. You know, you, you live and die with them, and you have to have a trust factor and, and know they have your back, and, and you've got theirs, and uh, it's just such an important key. It really is. It's no different than a business. You have to have good management people within your organization or your, your business will fail. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, you know, we mentioned that, uh, you know, I played for you way back in the day, early 2000s. How do you think you've evolved as a coach from when you kind of started in college to now? How have you seen kind of the the evolution of how you have to manage players and handle players? Do you, do you find yourself a much different coach nowadays than you were, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago? And if so, how do you say that? I'll let you come to practice and sit on the bench with us, and then you can explain it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, the, the thing that I found is uh, just, probably more taking a step back and taking a deep breath because as a young assistant, like I just, um, like I wanted to coach everything. Like I just, I wanted to coach and coach and coach every single rep. You wanted to talk to every single guy about different things. And, um, and Jeremy Downs, it was funny. Jeremy Downs was a, a player for us at Cornell and he gets a senior speech. And to me, I was way, way too detailed. There was just too many things that I was trying to get across to guys as a young assistant and Downsy gave his, his senior speech and he went into minute details about me explaining a play that had happened during his four years. And it was like a five minute talk about explaining a play and just and guys that were playing at the time, they were laughing because they knew it as well. And I think that's for me, um, you know, and Shafe did a phenomenal job in helping you with that as well. And we, we did it as a staff, actually, there was different things. He was just like, Hey, the less is more at times. Like you can't, you can't overload guys with too much information. And, and when guys are coming to the bench and their first look is to look you in the eye, waiting for you to tell them something, you know, they're not thinking the game on their own. You know, you've got to let them get to the bench and process things. And, um, you know, you can't be talking to guys every single shift. In my first year, it was just like, he's like, he'd look down, he'd come down, he'd kind of grab me by the arm going, Hey, enough, enough, is enough here. <laughs> but what I think was interesting, we did a couple different things. I thought were, were really valuable. And it's, you know, something that's always stuck with me. Um, he said, here, put these five pennies in your pocket. And as the game goes on, every time you talk to a guy, take a penny out, put it in the other pocket. And he said, when those five pennies are out of the one pocket, you can't talk anymore. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> just so you're, yeah, just to keep things in perspective so you have an understanding of how much you're talking to the guys um, so it's not a distraction for them. They have to think the game. Man. Guys have to, if they want to learn as players and play at a high level, they, they can't be just robots and, and doing everything that you're dictating what they're doing. You know, they got to think the game. You know, the other thing and we did at uh, a different point is we actually, each of us as coaches had a microphone in our pocket and we recorded our, uh, our game. So we'd go back and listen to how much detail we were giving the guys and plus what we were giving them as information. And I just thought that was, it's unbelievable. You go back and you listen to yourself on a, on a bench in a game. Um, it really, really brings things to light. You know, what are you giving the proper information, the timing that you're giving the information, how much information, how you're giving that message, Jeff, as you mentioned, like, is that message being delivered properly? Um, so we, we did some different things that I thought for me as a young coach really helped to, to make a difference moving forward. Um, 
you know, I, I would say I'm way more, uh, I don't want to say relaxed, but definitely in a better frame of mind on the bench and, and trying not to give as much information, let the guys have a breath and, and kind of uh, digest things and think through them themselves. That's so funny that you mentioned that because having played for you and Shafe and then, then having coached with Shafe, I feel like I was kind of like on the opposite end of the spectrum. And it's so funny how Shafe can like find that middle ground because I was kind of the other way where I was kind of like, we're giving these guys way too much information. Like we gotta, we gotta dial it back here and just kind of let them play. And it's so fun. Like head coaches, I feel like have to be really good at finding that happy medium um, between your assistant coaches and, and finding middle ground with a lot of different stuff. And, um, I thought he was just like, he was really, really good at that. Just like taking the input of everybody. And then as a head coach, you obviously have to make the decision and the decision is yours. Um, so just hearing you talk about that, it's very interesting because I was like on the opposite side, but we, I mean, we had those conversations every week in, in our coaches room. I'm sure you guys did too. How much information do we give these guys? How much video yeah. do we watch? Um, what's the pre-scout going to be like the amount of times that we discuss the pre-scout and how much information we give the kids on the pre-scout. Like, I mean, that was a, a weekly occurrence yeah. and it's, uh, I'm sure yeah, you kind of laugh. Like it's, it's, it's such a big part of it though, because you want to relay the right amount of information in the right way. That's one of the most important pieces of coaching. Yeah, I mean, you can overcoach and really stunt your growth to your players. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And so there is a fine line of, you know, how much structure but freedom within a structure is probably something that we, you know, as our coaching staff right now, we talk about is there's got to be structure in place, but there's got to be freedom. Like the, the players have to play free. Um, now, it's not just going around or ripping the puck around the ice and being careless with it. Um, so you give them parameters and, but within those parameters, like make plays, you guys have to think the game, like there's reads that have to be made on the ice and we can't tell you every situation that that's going to happen. You know, you have to make decisions on your own. Here's the type of, uh, four check we want to run neutral zone or D zone coverage, things like that. But within those, you're making reads to make plays. Let me ask you this because, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are minor hockey coaches. I'm one of them. And uh, I, I'm trying to learn from all these guests that we have on, especially somebody as distinguished as you. How much should I be talking to players about what's going on the ice on the bench at like a 16, 17, 18 level? During the game, you talking about? During, during the game. Like, oh, okay, okay, I see a kid didn't do this on the ice or is doing this and I think I can help. Like, how much should I be talking to them in game, do you think? Or or is it you know, do I do the five penny thing? Do I do ten pennies at that age? You know, like <laughs> I mean I really like that idea. It's a tangible thing that you can control. So is there a line where, okay, like shut up, Jeff, you know? Well you know what the well, you're in such a tough, tough dynamic, Jeff, because like youth hockey, we're fortunate that we, when we have three coaches, they're not on every game on the bench for every single game. But like, I'm watching some youth hockey games and there's one coach there because there's a, there's a tournament and the coaches, next coaches can't get there until the Saturday because they're working on a Friday. And, and so there's such a different dynamic that also now you're talking to the forwards and the D and you run the whole bench. You know, you guys have a real interesting dynamic because that changes game to game. I guess it does for us a little bit as well, just from a recruiting standpoint when assistants are on the road. But, um, yeah, I, I think you, yeah, you have to be careful that you're giving too much. And I think you're looking at overall system play, especially let's say you're on the bench by yourself and you don't have an assistant out there. You've got, you might have a parent that's running a door, uh, but that isn't actually doing coaching. They're just, they're helping to, you know, operate the door and that's about it then you're, I think you've got to give overall philosophy and structure of what you're doing, but it still has to be limited because, 
you know, the one thing I find there's almost a lot of overcoaching, like, uh, and it's a real tough situation because I think USA hockey does a phenomenal job, not just in trying to develop players, but developing coaches. Like if you want the game to grow, you have to have good coaches, you know? And I think that's where, you know, cities that have NHL teams, guys that retire and, and stay in those cities that played there for a long time, they get involved in youth hockey. You've seen, you know, you're in St. Louis. That's a place that's absolutely blossomed because of, uh, the blues alumni group. Like they've gotten involved. Um, you know, so that's something where you got guys that are pretty qualified, knowledgeable. Um, but I still think you have to be, you have to be letting the players think the game starting from a younger age and, and just, again, talk about parameters and, and structure overall, but less, less is more. A lot of times I just think it is like, there's just, there's too much coaching where kids are just, they become robotic. They don't play instinctively. They don't think the game is, is, as much as they should have. Uh, and that's got to start from a younger age. Like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> the remote control. Uh, it is funny when you're recruiting, right? Like you, you watch some of these midget games and you see the remote control coaches and you just kind of put your head in your notebook and you just kind of shake your head and it's like, oh my God, seriously? Drives me nuts. Play. <laughs> Drives me nuts. Well, hey, he's on you. Yeah, he's is. on you. Back check. Third guy high. Yeah. You're like, hey, come on. Let him play. Let him figure it out. Are you, are you talking about the coach or the parents? <laughs> I was talking about the coach, but good call. Yeah, no, no, I know, but I'll I'll be the one to throw that out there. You don't have to, since you're the youth coach, Jeff. I'll be the one to throw that out there. Parents, go <laughs> to the game and enjoy the game and just relax. That's where the remote control comes in, as the parents beating on the glass and in the stands and going, "Oh my goodness." I'll tell you what, yeah. though, I went to one of my old players. He's playing football now for his high school, and I went to his game over the weekend to watch him, and I was sitting directly behind a guy who the entire game gave instructions from, and, and it's not like a rink where you're close. Like, we were sitting way far off the football field, and this guy was yelling to every position what they needed to be doing, and I was like, okay, it's not just hockey. <laughs> no, no, you you sports like that – and I'm going to be the bad guy here, but the worst part about youth sports are the parents. Like, just go there and, and enjoy the event. Do not coach from the sidelines. Like, just be supportive. Right. And it's hard. It really is. It's funny because a guy who's a real good friend of mine, I'll, I'll tell the story. It's, it's kind of funny. So um, my daughter was playing uh, in the local area, and they didn't have girls hockey, so she's playing with a boys group and stuff. And, you know, a friend of ours was playing, same team, and I'm standing up there, uh, watching the game. And I always go, I sit by myself just because I don't want to be next to parents screaming and yelling. So I, I'd go find a quieter <laughs> in the rank by myself and kind of watch. So a buddy of mine is on the other side of the ice sheet and he's facing the bench. So I'm sitting behind the benches. He's on the opposite side. So the players on the bench can look across and they can see him. His son gets off in the shift, sits down and he's over there and he's gesturing. He looks like a, almost like a football coach on the sidelines with the signals and he's going on and on with all the gestures and stuff. And he kept going and going. So I walked over to him between periods. I like, you look like you're trying to land an aircraft carrier on a battleship <laughs> over there. Like let's let your son play the game. Like every time he comes off the ice, he's looking up at you wondering what he should be doing. Like he's not playing the game on his own. He's worried about what you're trying to tell him between shifts, like help your son out. Just let him be, you know, he kind of chuckled about it and, you know, he, he backed off, but it was just one of those things. And unfortunately it happens on top. You watch certain players that, it, you know, in youth hockey, 
they come to the bench, they're looking their stands for feedback from, from mom or dad and trying to dictate what they should be doing. They're not focused on the game. They're not, they're not sitting back and reevaluating and thinking the game on their own. Going, geez, what happened that previous shift? What did I do? What did I do? Well, like what, did I, you know, why did I do well there? What did I make a mistake on? What do I need to change? Uh, they're looking for somebody else to tell them what to do. And it's just, you know, it's disruptive and it doesn't help the growth of the player. No, no, not at all. But also they, they could be taking opportunity away from their son or daughter as well, because I'll, I'll ask you the question straight up. Like how much do you uh, factor in what the parents are like when you're recruiting a kid to a St. Lawrence? You know, is that something that you talk huge. about with your assistants and, and is yeah, huge, right? No, oh, it's huge. Like we want great kids. Like we want good teammates. And, and at the end of the day, you know, the, the young man is probably not different than, than their parents. They just aren't. I mean, they've been raised a certain way for, you know, 18, 19, 20 years. By the time you get them, you're not changing how they were raised and the interaction that they've had. And so if, you know, if they're questionable character and they've been raised a certain way, that, that kid's probably not changing much. This was, I don't know, this is probably 15 years ago, I was in Detroit watching a showcase and I'm watching the game and I've got a parent standing next to me and screaming and yelling and berating the officials and like tearing down every one of the teammates, you know, that was not giving his son the pass or mishandling a puck that his son had made and just like going on and on. And I was just like, Oh my goodness. So after the game, I walked around, I talked to coach. I said, who's that father standing across? He looks over and he sees the guy. He said, that's so-and-so. And I said, perfect. We will not recruit that kid. I, I don't care if he's the best player in the league. I don't care if the kid's a great kid that, you know, like we will not recruit that because, because you're not removing that. Like that, that father's going to be there through the four years of the career and the same stuff he's doing at the youth hockey level, he's going to do the same thing in college. So we, we just won't recruit that kid. And because of the parents' actions, it's just, you're not removing that. Yeah, I, I remember you'll get a kick out of this. I might have even told you this story before, but literally my first day as a as an assistant coach at Cornell. So we had our first recruit on campus. I didn't know who he was. I, it was just kind of my first day, and it was my job to kind of show him around and, and stuff. So I'm all jacked. I'm excited and stuff. And you know, I walk him around. It's him and his dad. And then we get into Shafe's office, and you know, we're talking. And it it, it might have been <clears throat> ten minutes into the conversation, and Shafe does the old look at his phone. Oh, I gotta go. There's an emergency. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. And I'm like, oh god, it's my first day, so I'm like, oh crap. Like, what do I do? So I just, you know, I whatever. And Shafe left. And then so like the, the next day in the office, I was kind of like, what happened? Like, what's going on? He's like, that dad was an absolute donkey. There's no way we're recruiting this kid. So I didn't even want to be in the yeah. room. So sorry about that. I was like, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reality. No, that that's the truth. You, you gotta, you'll know right away. Like it's like, hey, this is uh, if that's the way the uh, you know the parents act. The young man's probably not far off from that. Now you do have the situation where you know the kid is different than the parents, but that's a rarity. It really is because again, you're not removing that that relationship they've had from a you know parent to a son for 20 years. I, that that just won't change. Yeah, uh, so yeah. It's, it's hard. And that's the feedback I get. Like when I tell parents that, like some of them come back at me and they're kind of like, well, why would you punish a kid for something that they didn't do? And it's like, well, when you're making a decision, so let's say your school costs, you know, $50,000 to go to, you're investing $200,000 in a kid and a spot on your team. And if you want your culture to be good, every spot is extremely important. Are you going to hedge your bets? Because you've seen through all these years that the apple really doesn't fall that far from the tree. So like you have a job to do to 
to build a program. So yeah, like that's, that's tough to hear if, if you're a kid, but at the same time, like you got a job to do to build a program the right way and you have to bring in the right people. So you have to, based on experience, make the best judgment that you can. And your judgment most of the time is like, Hey, like we don't want bad parents. <laughs> no, no, you don't. And again, they're, because they're going to be a part of that four-year experience at college. Like they're going to be in the stands. So if they're saying stuff, you know, whatever in the stands and you thought, well, they're going to do the same thing. And unfortunately that stuff leaks into the locker room because totally. all of a sudden that parent says something to another parent. And all of a sudden that gets back to the other teammate and gets circulated back. It, it, it penetrates your locker room and it kills your culture. Totally. Yeah. Not every school's 50 grand a year, Toph. Well, whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, not far off though. They're all getting. Up yeah, I know it is gross. It is. No, gross. I think I, I'd be hard pressed to find many Division One schools that aren't around there. Maybe the state schools, but oh like, come on, that can't be true. I, there's got to be more more schools that are less than fifty grand than there are that are more. I don't know, Brex. What do you, you think? Know, that's tr- that's for your next podcast research. I'm not good with technology. I can look it up right now. But the, uh, that's, that's a good, a good question. question. I bet you that that would be an interesting number that, you know, there, there's a lot that are going to be 50 plus. There really are. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. He was right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, I've got a daughter in college and my son's a senior in high school. So we're in the midst of it. So yeah, I, I, I know what the price tags are for a number of them. So that's <laughs> good. It's high. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's so funny. Well, I'm going to do the, uh, the Venmo thing like the kid did for the Bud Light. How about that? <laughs> what happened there? What you're talking about from, from college day. So the guy who had, uh, you know, they do college game day for football and the people hold up the sign behind the, uh, um, you know, the broadcasters that are up on stage. Yeah. They're on yeah. campus. So a kid put up a sign said, low on Bud Light, please Venmo with whatever money, as a joke. And as he's standing there, he's standing with some friends, and all of a sudden his phone starts buzzing. He looks down, $40, $50, $100, $400. By the end of the day, it was at $36,000 money. Holy yep. cow. And so word got out. So what the kid did is he donated the thirty-six thousand to a, I believe it was a children's hospital, and then Anheuser Busch matched it. Oh wow! So people, people kept sending the money, and he was up to over a million dollars. Come on! What? It, it's, yeah, and this just happened. I think it was last weekend. Uh, you have to look it up. It's a phenomenal story, and great on the kid. Like he, he donated the uh, the thirty-six grand Anheuser Busch matched it, but then it just kept going. And it's uh, I was somebody sent me a text yesterday. With a picture, I think it's over a million no is way. what the, the amount was. Incredible. Like, absolutely wow. incredible. It's, it's, it's a neat cool. story. So, those of you that are sending your kids out to college, just go to college game day and throw up a video <laughs> on the account uh, <laughs> on the back. That's Pretty awesome. soon, yeah, college game day next weekend, you're going to have about 50 of those signs right there. <laughs> yeah, and they're going to get zero. You know, keep going to so, but, yeah, great story. But the kid, yeah, like you said, he donated to charity, and it's a, it's a pretty special story. So, good on him. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, those yeah. are the kinds of kids you want in your program for sure. So, uh, <laughs> well, uh, let, me, let me ask you this. So, you know, you're taking over a program, head coach for the first time. Um, what are like, if you're walking into the room, you know, it's your first meeting, what are like the three things that you want to emphasize the most with your team? Like in terms of setting the tone, setting the culture, what, like, what are your three biggest priorities as a head coach going in? Well, the biggest thing is, 
you know, we had that meeting because it's funny because when I got hired, our guys were already off campus. So a lot of the, we did a lot of our relationship building, getting to know the guys just via phone. So I had only met probably, I don't know, six guys on our roster um, before they showed up on campus. Uh, but our meeting, uh, you know, our first meeting, the biggest th- things to get across were, hey, you represent our program, not just yourself. And so if you're doing something that's good or bad, it's not your name tag to it. It's St. Lawrence hockey. It's St. Lawrence university. Like you, you represent everything and you got to keep it that in mind. We're in a small community. We're in a, uh, you know, a small campus. Everybody knows everybody. Uh, they're going to know you play on the hockey team. You know, that at the, you know, at the start, that's a piece of what our culture is be a good person. At the end of the day, be a good person in everything you do. You know, and the other thing we want to talk about what our team identity is like and, and who we are as a program, we want to be relentless in everything we do. And so that's something if we're playing at home, we're playing on the road, we're playing a neutral site game, you know, we finish the game. The other team should be sitting in the locker room. Holy smokes. Did they come after us? And they wouldn't stop. And they were relentless. And that, that's something, you know, that we tried to get across to our guys, um, you know, and then, you know, the other thing is, is belief in one another, you know, believe in yourself, but belief in one another and, and, and build those relationships within that locker room together um, because we're a family and that's the way we want to approach it. You know, so you, you have to have each other's back. There's got to be trust that's built and, and those are really our foundation blocks and we'll build from there. There's lots of other things that go into it, but, you know, those are the messages that we started with right from the, the very first meeting. Yeah, and, and just hearing you talk about that, it, it just goes back to the recruiting aspects, which you were so good at when you were an assistant. I mean, you can't have any of those three things unless you bring in the right people. Like, it, it just yeah. it doesn't happen. And uh, it's funny. I mean, we talked about it a little bit, um, you know, the other day, but just the way that the recruiting landscape is now, I feel like that job is getting harder and harder because there isn't as much integrity in it and there isn't as much, like, things are just happening so fast and you're almost not even allowed to build those relationships and find out what a kid and a family is like because you have to make decisions so quick um, with yeah. just the way that the landscape is. So, you know, how... How has that changed your kind of view on recruiting? And, and is that something that, uh, as somebody that um, prides himself a lot on the recruiting landscape, is that something that kind of gets at you? Yeah, it does. And I've, I've been open about it. I voiced it. I, I don't like it. I, I think our recruiting landscape for college hockey isn't in a good place. I, I think it's taken a step backwards. You know, it, it's interesting. We had. Uh, and there was a football coach that uh, one of that Cornell, he came up from the, the SEC and he said, he goes, I, he goes, I love what you guys are as, as a sport. He said, you guys can go to a, a national convention, sit down, you know, after competing head to head for wins and losses and big time games and, a, and unbelievable battles, but you guys can sit in a room and have d- discussions and have respect for one another. He said, well, you know, we've lost that because the recruiting, I mean, recruiting has been the, the turmoil that they had, um, you know, specific to football is like, it was just constantly poaching. He said, you didn't start recruiting a player until the kid said, I'm coming. Once you said a kid said he was coming to your school as you know, in the SEC said, now we had to recruit to make sure that kid stayed on campus, that he wasn't getting poached by somebody. And, and unfortunately, because of the way things have changed with, with college recruiting for hockey now, it's, it's, it's hedged towards that. And I don't like it. And just, I don't. And I think part of it's tied to young recruiting. I just think there's so much of the, Oh, well, I'll take this, this offer that I have right now and I'll use it as leverage. If something else pops up, you know, a year or two from now, then I'll just, I'll jump to that. Um, and, and that's, 
you know, part of that is because of the, the coaches helping with that process to open doors for other avenues. You know, if the kids, you know, committed and they got a buddy coaching somewhere else, they're hey, what, what do you think about this school? If they had an interest, would you be willing to change your mind and commit there? And um, agents are involved in that as well. There's just a lot of that stuff that that has really, really changed during the last five to ten years, and it's it's not right. It really isn't. I don't like it. Um, you know, and I think that's something the integrity of it of you know and it, it's two sides it's not just the college it's the the families as well you know the college need to stick to their word you offer a kid you stick with it because you're going to make mistakes you know the reality is let's say you recruit five kids a year on average now some classes will be bigger some smaller but on average if you recruit five kids four three of those kids will work out you're, one of those kids will not be what you projected them to be you know that's and year after year after year you're you're not going five for five on recruiting that's just the reality of it you know, so, but that fifth kid that you projected to be a big time player and now he's an average player or, or struggling to be in your lineup, follow through with the commitment you have for him. And, and on the flip side of the family, don't be shopping around to look for something else because, well, you know, I've got this in my back pocket, but this is pretty intriguing over here. Like, I, I really like this program. You know, it's, I, I just don't like it. And it's, unfortunately, it's, it's become a part of our, uh, you know, our coaching and our recruiting that's, it's not the, you know, it's not the pretty part right now at all. Yeah. So, kind of goes against like what the game is about too, like integrity and, yeah. and honor. And I mean, I, I, I remember it what was, I was 19 years old, 34, do the math, Jeff didn't go to Cornell 15 years ago. I remember the day that I got my, my NLI with Western, um, my junior coach came up to me and said, Hey, uh, just so you know, this other big, really big school just said, they'll give you a full ride. If you'll play one more year of juniors. And it was literally, he handed me my NLI, went to his office, came back and goes, Hey, I just got off the phone with such and such school. And they're, they want to offer you a full ride. If you'll play one more year juniors. And I was, I was mad. I was like, what? Like, no, like this, I already committed. And I was like, I never looked at that school the same way. I still don't to this day. I don't know if it's the same coaches there or not. Probably not. But I was like, that's, that's so like bogus to do that. Like I'm about to sign and you're offering me. It really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, l- I'd like to say that's uncommon right now, but there's stories, you know, not identical to that, but there's a lot of stuff that happens. Yeah. That's, it's not right. It's not good for the game. Well, let's, yeah. let's even break that down further, but you know, you have a coach that says here, you, what, what's the caveat, right? The caveat to that deal that you got was your junior coach gets you for another year too. So there's exactly. other self-interest in it, which happens all the time. So for all the young coaches sure. that are listening, like these decisions are not being made just between a uh, college and a family. Like there's youth coaches, there's junior coaches, like these kids have so many people barking in their ear that all have their own interests in the process as well. And it's very self-serving and you see it all the time. And, and like, I'm not afraid to say that, like when we were at, like there are certain teams that we would not send kids to because we know that that junior coach would just shop them around and just say, Hey, like, yeah, yeah, he's committed here, but well, he's, he's, you know, like, what do you think? Like if I can get him for another year, maybe like, maybe he can go to, you know, whatever it may be. Cause he's trying to save his own job too. And it's just, it's a, it's a toxic atmosphere and you really, that's why the relationship building in it all is so, so important because like, I feel like the really, really good recruiters in our game and Brex, you can have an opinion on this too, but I feel like the really good recruiters are able to find people that they trust that do a really good job. And then they just kind of, 
they hold on to those guys and they treat them right and they do do right by them and they they know that what they say they mean it and they're going to follow through with it and uh there's plenty of good people in in the business too and if you can find a way to get those people to trust you as a college coach like i think that's that's a huge part of your job as a recruiter oh it is for sure the the relationships yeah it's funny you say that because i got a phone call yesterday from um, a guy who's been a, a coach in junior hockey and a gm for years and years done a phenomenal job with where he's at he called yesterday and just said, hey, I know this is a kid you guys have an interest in. He's dealing with a number of schools. Um, but he said, I, I don't trust the other guys from the other programs I'm dealing with. We've had a relationship for, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, you know, I want to make sure this kid's going to the right program that has a care level for him and, and, and you know, and be treated the right way. So there's there's other guys that are calling this kid that he goes, that I don't trust that if they commit to this kid, I can't guarantee they're going to follow through with the commitment. He said, and I don't want to deal with it. You know, so it's, you know, the relationships you have are, are crucial. They really are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the the nice thing about it, too, now, which is, uh, like, I always tell kids and families, like, do your research on these schools, too. Like, everything's out there on the Internet. Like, you can see how many how many kids are committed yeah. to schools and how many times, you know, schools have decommitted kids and all that kind of stuff. It's all out there. You go to collegecommitments.com or the Heisenberg page or whatever it may be. Like, it's, it's pretty simple. And if I'm a parent, I do not want to send my kid to a school that has their recruiting classes set, and I say set with the air quotation marks, for six years down the road because they have 30 kids committed. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. especially, like, even as a scholarship yeah. school, like there's not that much money to go around. How much, how much money can you, you offer and promise people? Yeah, you know, exactly. So no, exactly. And I think that's, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just, I just say that's kind of like, do you do your homework too? I think that's a part, part of the job for the family. Yeah. And I, you know, I just, I think so many families going, well, yeah, but this, that won't be my kid. Oh God. Like, they, you know, yeah. they, they see a program that's, you know, committed X number of kids and then pulled the plug and, and pulled the offer and decommitted a kid or walked away from a kid. Uh, they get rose colored glass and they're like, well, yeah, but that won't happen to my son. <laughs> it, it will. <laughs> you know what? Programs operate a certain way and they typically don't change. So, you know, you, you do have to do your homework. You got to be smart with what your decision is and make an informed decision because you shouldn't be making a decision where you're going to college more than once. If you're, <laughs> you're making a decision that I'm committed to go here and you're making that decision again a year later, shame on you, whether it was your doing or their doing, yeah, then it was an uninformed decision. Yeah, totally. So, so how, like as a head coach now, um, you know, at the head of your own program, how do you kind of handle that and how do you navigate those waters? Do you just kind of not even worry about it and just say, we're going to do the best that we can and be St. Lawrence, or is there certain things that you have to kind of be aware of? Yeah, no, we're going to be us. We're just, the young recruiting, I think is a part of where there's a lot of, you know, some of these kids committed at a young age that their development just, stagnates uh, or they don't get better you know they're the best at the age of 15 and all of a sudden they just they don't stay the best player as they move up the ladder and all of a sudden now that's that kid that you know schools walk away from uh, or different things like that like we recruit a little bit of an older model because you have for one you have less projection you're getting you know a kid that has two more years of development that you've seen here as opposed to you know the age of 15 making a decision on a kid when you see a kid at 18 he's a different player than he was three years earlier you know, so you're just you're making a more informed decision and less projection the older they are typically, you know, and and so we'll recruit a lot of older kids just because of that. Uh, and the other piece of that, you recruit an older kid, those are kids that have probably been around a lot of teams that, you know, have seen so many teammates 
get their you know commitment that they just want an opportunity. Like they're so thankful to have an opportunity as an older player that I'll prove these people wrong, and I'm just I'm just happy to have an opportunity to go in and compete at, at the Division One level. And I think that's the thing you find when you're recruiting some of the older kids that are late bloomers, later developers. They're more appreciative and thankful of the opportunity they're getting. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean, that makes so much sense for sure. And we talk about it on the podcast all the time how just uh, you know, when when you're 17, 18, 19 years old, you've you've hit a little bo- bit more adversity than you did at 14, 15 years old. And that adversity is only going to help you when you do get to the higher levels because when you get to college hockey, you are going to hit adversity. <laughs> you're, yep. you're probably not going to be the best player on your team anymore. You're probably going to get sat. You might you're going to get yelled at by your coach. You might get sat in the stands because you're not working as hard as it. Like there's just so many different things that if you get that sandpaper and a little bit of resiliency before you get there you're just so much more going to be better off and and have a great experience yeah no it's huge it really is and i think it's funny too with assistant coaches you have to as an assistant coach you have to recruit to what your head coach likes and what his personality is as well and that was the one thing you know in working with shafe i i had the benefit of playing for him so i knew I knew him inside and out how competitive he was and the type of person he was. And, um, and when we recruited there, like kids better compete. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It was not like you brought a kid who was extremely skilled in there, but if he was a soft player, he's going to have a tough time yeah. and because you know, there was He was going to be demanded to compete at a high level. It's just not going to be a skill game. You better go win pucks. I don't care if you're, uh, you know, a power play guy five on five, you better go compete and win a battle. Uh, you know, and that's something you, you have to recruit to, what the strengths of your program are and, and when you're an assistant understand what the you know really what the style of play your your head coach wants and what you're trying to instill there and um and what you're trying to build and that's a huge part of it yeah and how great of a learning experience was it for you you know having coached under three guys who are you know really good college hockey coaches have great track records and in, in Shafe and Rico and Jonesy and like all three are very different too um, as far as their personalities and, and the way they run their teams, you know, I had the chance to work for both Shafe and Rico like you did. Um, as, as a head coach now, be, having the chance to be able to work for so many different guys that kind of do it differently, do you feel like that is great for your education as a head coach now? Yeah, it's huge. No, it really is. Like you, you take the, the best of everything you learn from different programs and different guys you worked with and you try to mesh that together. Um, so yeah, when you're working with different approaches or different philosophies, different personalities, uh, I think it just makes you a better person. And, and then for you is to pick, you know, what is the right stuff? You have your own philosophies and your own value system and things like that as an individual. Um, but you morph the things you've learned and the things you've been around from other programs, you know, and I was, I was fortunate to have Bill Wilkinson as my college coach. who was a phenomenal coach as well. Um, and also, you know, even further back, I had Mark Coffin. Like Mark Coffin was unbelievable. He was—he's a guy that I, you know, have a great friendship with now, but I have a you know great respect for. When I played for him, he's a guy that has completely changed over the times and been able to be successful over decades and decades because the way he coached us in junior hockey is so different than than way the way you coach the game now. It just is. You know, it was just something like. Like he was an extremely hard nosed competitive guy, and if he said go run through the wall, like you weren't asking why, you were just doing it. Like you can't do that these days. Like there's there's the why factor, and I know you did a presentation, a great presentation down in Florida, and you talked about this is the why generation. Like they'll they'll work and compete for you, but you better be able to answer why you're telling them they're asking to do what you want them to do. You know, and that's something where the game is. You know, 
younger growing up in junior hockey at that time, it was like you didn't question anything. If the coach said it, then you did it. And, you know, now the, the players these days are, you know, they'll do it, but you better give them good reason why to do it so they have an understanding of what they are doing and why they're, you know, the methodology to it, the philosophy. And even just like be proactive with the why is what I've noticed. I mean, I'm not coaching college, but I'm coaching kids and being proactive and saying at the beginning, not reactive, not, not there being like, well, why are we doing this? Like, I like to tell them, Hey, this is why I want you to do this. And this is why we're working on it because it will lead to success, you know, building on this skill or whatever. And then immediately they're like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Now I see it. Whereas like maybe last year I wasn't doing that right away. And then they'd, you'd have to, you'd see them like not doing it. And as soon as you'd say, Hey, this is why, like, think about this. And then I demonstrate, like when I fake this shot and then I pull up, that makes the D man, you know, flinch, maybe go down on a knee to block a shot. Then when I pull up now, I've created more time and space for myself. I can make a better play. Whereas before I was just saying, Hey, I want you to come in, pull up. And they're just like, no fake shot, no exaggeration. And I'm like, D man's going to be all over you. So when I started telling them the why in the beginning, I noticed with kids, they immediately would do whatever I was asking right away. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, And I think for young coaches, as you're explaining those drills, of asking them the why rather than explain the why. Okay, we're yeah. pulling up here, we're driving in, and we're giving a pump fake, and then and why were we doing that? Let them answer that. Let them think the game. And, you know, you don't always have to give them the information. Let them answer the why themselves. And, and again, they, they feel good about themselves when they give the answer, right? They're, they're more engaged. Uh, they have a sense of, um, you know, a sense of being involved in, in, the, in the drill as well because, hey, I understand what this is right from the start because I've given the answer. And so there's some different ways to help teach that for sure. That's awesome. I'm going to use that today. <laughs> Thanks. Get her done, baby. Get her done. <laughs> was it get mitt? Get it, move it? Is that, that was the defense saying at Cornell, right? Yeah. <laughs> you might have to bring those hats back. Yeah. <laughs> the old camo hats. I like it. That's right. Yeah, we had uh, – that's funny. I forgot about those. Yeah, we had made uh, – we weren't moving the puck real well, so we actually made hats for the defensemen, and there was a uh, – just a logo of a hockey player on there. And it said, get it G I T M I T. And it was get it, move it. Cause we just wanted to stick out of the puck and hold it and hold it. And Hey, let the puck do the work and you'll share the puck, move it. So yeah, we might have to bring those hats back. <laughs> I, w- I want to talk about that real quick, because uh, again, that's something that I'm dealing with on my team. I feel like a lot of younger D men in hockey. Now they watch Eric Carlson and say, well, that's what I got to do. I got to go end to end. I, I'm, I'm Brent Burns. And I'm like, the college coaches need to see that you can get the puck and move it as a forward. If you just skate the puck up or try to skate the puck up the ice all the time, I'm standing still, or I'm a non-factor, you know, as a forward, obviously I see the game differently than a D man, but I always wanted that D man to move the puck as fast as he could to me so that I have more time to get the puck and then turn up ice, make a decision, get my head up, those kind of things. Is that something you're seeing as somebody who's watching, you know, a lot more hockey than I am, both you and Toph. Like, are you seeing D-men try and be the guy who's just carrying the mail all the time rather than getting it and moving it? Yeah, I would say there, there's a piece of that for sure. It's it's one of those where I do think the development of young defensemen has really come along, and, and part of it is because of that. But then it's the decision, like, there's only so many that have the abilities to do those things consistently at a high level, especially as young defensemen. You know, so the other guys that don't necessarily have that, I, I have always, you know, I've always been a big believer 
continue to, to strengthen your the strengths of your game, but you've got to work on your weaknesses. If you're not a guy that's gifted as far as challenging up ice under control and distributing, you still have to work on it. You, you can't not have it as a part of your game. It has to be some part of your game at some point. Um, but you, they have to be distributors. You, like, join the rush. Don't lead the rush. That's the thing yep. for me as a defenseman. Like, you should be moving the puck and then be, you know, be an option joining it. And too many guys want to skate the thing all the way from in to the far blue <laughs> and into the zone. All of a sudden, they're the only guy going with speed, and the three forwards have had to stop because they haven't gotten the puck. Well, now you're the only you're the only threat into the zone, and now it's one versus two or three, and you're on an island because you're the only guy with speed because you didn't move the puck. Right. You know, so it's it's a real it's a fine line of of moving it and understanding. There's times where you're going to skate it and challenge, but you know, I guess the I'm a firm believer in. You know, join the rush, don't lead the rush. Um, you know, and the other thing is, it, we tell at all positions, make other players on the ice better around you. And to do that, you need you need to distribute the puck. Like to me, that's a hockey player. If you're a guy on the ice that is everybody's going, ooh, wow, look at that guy, that guy, that guy. That's that's all well and great, but the higher you climb up the ladder, you can't do all those things individually. Now you've got to use the people around you to to make them better and make yourself better. And that to me is is a true hockey player's. How much better is he making the line mates that he plays with? Is is he making the other four guys that he's playing with on that ice? Is he making them better hockey players? Well, if he is, he's probably thinking the game and moving the puck and utilizing them. So like that. True. So true. Well, Brex, we've had you on here for uh, for quite some time. I know you got a lot of stuff to do as uh, as a head coach now. But uh, just before we let you go, just want to kind of ask you how excited are you for for this opportunity here at St. Lawrence? No, we're extremely excited. It's no, it's as you said, it's been a long time as far as being assistant. So anytime you you know you have your first opportunity is is pretty unique, and it's we're in a great situation just because we've got a seventeen million dollar renovation going on in the facility right now as well. So there's so many things that are you know in a great place moving forward. So I'm pretty fortunate the timing of getting this position. Um, you know, we're excited to get out there. We're gonna we're gonna obviously have some mistakes that we'll work through and. Um, but you know the, the positivity and the approach of the team and, and you know, our whole program with our staff has been awesome. So we're excited. The days are counting down quickly. We'll be uh, an actual game for them here. So it'll be uh, it'll be fun. Can't get here quick enough. Yeah, for Unreal. sure. We look forward to tracking their progress and uh, know that uh, that Tommy and Murph are going to do a great job with you there as well. So uh, obviously, wish you nothing but the best of luck. I have so much of my career and, and so much of everything that I have right now because of you and your belief in me. So um, it was so cool to be able to get you on this podcast to, to show the world what a great dude you are. And uh, we wish you nothing but the best of luck in uh, in your journey there up in Canton. No, I appreciate the kind words. Thanks, Toe. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Fellow Bronco. Yeah, baby. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good right. luck, Dave. Have fun this year. Thanks, Brexit. See you. See you.